You ever spend any time in your life just waiting on God? You know? I don't mean like wondering where God is, but I mean actively waiting upon Him, you know, waiting for His presence uh, to come and to manifest in your life. This is actually a, a, a frequent method of, I guess you might call it counseling uh, for me. Uh, if I am um, ministering to someone who's having a, a tough time, I will often give the simple advice, um, seek God. And when I say that, I don't mean seek to understand things about God. I mean, no, seek God. Seek, seek His embrace. Seek a, a, a hug from the Lord. Um, that is the best thing that you can do. When you're grieving, it's tempting to seek God for an explanation of why such and such had to happen. You know, you've suffered some great loss or disappointment in your life. Uh, you come in to see me, and very often the question you ask me is, well, why did this happen? And even if I'm smart enough to understand why, which, like, never happens, um, I don't think that's the best thing for you to do. Um, so I will say something like, well, instead of seeking an explanation, why don't you seek God directly for comfort? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't a hug from God be way better than any wisdom that I could share with you? Wouldn't experiencing the palpable, tangible presence of the Lord right here, right now, be way better? What do you think? Would it be better? Yeah? But there's a discipline that comes with that. And instead of seeking explanations and insisting on understanding, you just sort of seek the Lord. Uh, when you're stuck in life or you're stuck in ministry, don't just read another book to get smarter uh, about it. Instead, just seek God himself. And that tends to unlock things. The presence of God. The direct presence of God. How many of you would say that you have experienced the direct presence of God? You've actually felt God in, a, in an immediate, tangible, physical way. Yeah, there's so many ways to experience God that I imagine a lot of you uh, have uh, in my own life. It's been my encounters with what I call the manifest presence of God that have changed me and empowered me more than anything else. And I say manifest presence of God because, you know, theologically, God is present everywhere all the time, right? God holds everything together. Uh, he is omnipresent, uh, as the theologians say. But then sometimes there's a manifest present. It is made manifest. That literally means to, to, like to, to, make, to be manipulable with your hands, to be tangible, to be touchable, you know, to really, really be present in an experiential sort of way. And every so often I get one of these encounters with the Lord where he's just like, he's just there, you know, and all of my thinking and all of, you know, whatever raging emotions I had, they all just sort of surrender to the manifest presence of the Lord. And then on occasion, uh, I've, I've been in ministry times where I've been, I don't know, trying to witness to somebody or trying to heal someone supernaturally. And, and sometimes that can be a, ch a challenge, but on occasion, just God will manifest in a big, immediate way, and then just everything changes. You know, it's typically much easier at that point. And I don't know how many of these stark experiences I've had with the manifest presence of the Lord at this point. You know, not, not, it doesn't happen like every day, 
or even every week, but some dozens of times, and it always changes me. It always makes me uh, a different person. It always moves me forward when I have these experiences. Now, this is not surprising, I think, because according to Jesus, one of the unique traits of the kingdom of God is the manifest presence of God in our lives, and then the power that the manifest presence of the Lord brings. Uh, I say, according to Jesus, you have uh, a short scripture text from Acts chapter 1 on the back of your programs. It will also be up here um, on the big screen, Acts 1, 4 through 8. I think it will be on the big screen. And this is a story about... um, uh, one of the last interactions that Jesus had with his disciples before he uh, ascended from the earth. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They were thinking of some sort of political, some sort of worldly solution that Jesus was talking about. But he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But this is what I'm talking about, guys. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think that... Uh, section is in some ways the thesis statement for the whole book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to receive a lot of power, so much power that you're going to be my effective witnesses in this town, in the surrounding area, and indeed you're going to change the whole world. And that's what the story of Acts is about. In some ways you could say this is kind of the thesis statement for the whole age of the Holy Spirit in which we now live. In this conversation, Jesus says, all right, guys, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split, but uh, you're going to receive a gift from the Father. You are going to receive this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for baptism or baptized literally means to douse or to soak. In a few ga- days, guys, you're going to get doused with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about when he said that. Because there's nothing else like it in biblical history uh, before then. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended upon him like like a dove. Uh, John called that a baptism in the Holy Spirit. But no one else had really experienced that yet. But Jesus said, hey, in a few days, you're all going to get doused. You're all going to get soaked with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I mean, sounds good. How could that be bad, right? Sounds good, but I'm pretty sure they had no idea what it meant. And then a few days later, about 10 days or so, as uh, that group uh, prayed together uh, with the other uh, surviving believers at the time, somewhere around 120 of them, they were in a big room together, and the Holy Spirit did come upon them. This is in Acts chapter 2. We won't read the passage. It's probably familiar to a lot of you. There was a sound like a great rushing wind in the room right? The place sort of shook. The Holy Spirit came into the room and manifested in the air in a way that looked like tongues of fire. It sort of separated and came to rest on every person. There's some sort of glowing apparition. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but it came to rest on everyone 
who was in uh, attendance, and supernatural things started to happen. It overwhelmed them in some fashion because when they spilled out onto the street, passers-by said they looked as though they were drunk. And Peter had to say, oh, no, 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 they're not drunk. This is supernatural, trust me. Um, So they were a little woozy under the power. Uh, A good portion of them, uh, at least, began speaking in languages that they did not previously understand. It's called speaking in tongues. They got the gift of tongues. And so they were speaking languages from all over the world, uh, even though uh, the largest portion of them were uneducated uh, Galileans from the outback um, in, in Israel. It was, uh, if you will, sort of the anti-Tower of Babel story. And the Tower of Babel story, uh, God um, came upon the people and confused their tongues. They all started speaking different languages that they couldn't understand, and it caused them to separate and go across the globe. But in this story, you began speaking language that you didn't understand, and it gathered people from all over the world uh, to come to the meeting. You're speaking my language, but I thought you were a Galilean. Tell me more. What's going on here? And indeed, Peter stood up that day and he said, These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. The service started at nine in the morning. I'm obligated to ask by training, Did anybody come drunk? It's Blue Water Mission. I just thought I'd check. Biblical precedence if you did. No problem. Um, It's only nine in the morning. This is, is the gift that was prophesied about by the prophet Joel. In these days, uh, the prophecy said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, upon the church. We talked about it a a little bit last week. Everybody kind of get the scene in their head, what it must have been like? Have you ever thought about that story before? It is sort of the watershed story in the history of the church. Put yourself at that scene, right? Say you were one of the 120 upon whom the Holy Spirit came, or you were one of the crowd of the thousands that gathered around them when they spilled out of their room onto the street, Uh, what would you have thought was happening? What would you have thought that it meant when you encountered it? Uh, Strange, strange day. You know, and then they have this fisherman who you've never seen stand up and say, hey, this is a fulfillment of a centuries-old prophecy. Now everyone has access to the manifest presence of God for himself or herself. You can now be indwelt by the very Spirit of God for the sake of supernatural power in your life. What would you have thought at that moment? That's just a little crazy. I don't know what I would have done. I'm a button-down kind of guy. I might have just walked away. I'm not sure. But 3,000 people came to faith that day, and that was the beginning of the church, and those uneducated fishermen did indeed proceed to change the world. So, in short, Jesus promised this thing called the dousing of the Spirit uh, for empowerment. It happened in a weird way. It probably looked weird to those who were there, and it immediately helped. It immediately brought people to faith And he immediately turned a bunch of uneducated guys into world changers. A good day. Snaps for the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that day marked for us was the pursuit 
of the manifest presence of God. Up until that moment in history, even if you believed in God, there was nothing in the tradition of following God that would cause you to pursue the manifest presence of God, you know, to, to just pursue God directly. That's, that's not what people did. There was a little bit of it like in the story of Exodus where Moses would ascend the mountain to be with God, but the rest of the people did not, right? You were scared of the presence of God. If you got into the presence of God, things got deadly and crazy. That's what the religious people of that day and age thought. But this is, this is different now. This is a complete flip. Now you pursue the presence of God for goodness, for power, and for faith. Pursue God directly. And the message of the church from that moment on became, hey, pursue God. You know, don't just pursue understanding things about God. Certainly don't pursue religion. No, pursue God. And that can be challenging. And so God's going to come for you. God is willing to fill you with his presence and power, a degree of intimacy that you just don't find anywhere else in the universe, the pursuit of the manifest presence of God. And God's people have been doing that ever since, uh, at least those of us who remember how important it is. How do you pursue uh, the presence of God? Well, in Scripture, there are, depending a bit on how you count, six really good accounts that show people getting this thing called the baptism or the dousing of the Holy Spirit. Now, a a word on that. All of you have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I don't care if you just wandered in here off the street today and you don't even believe in God. You have already experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in your life because, again, God is everywhere. God is the author of life. God holds things together. Certainly, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been active in your life because you can't come to faith without the Lord helping you out at least a little bit, right? The Holy Spirit has been ministering to your heart. But Jesus did not call it the coming of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus called it the dousing of the Holy Spirit. Now you get soaked in it, right? So there's a difference between taking a drink of the presence of God and jumping into a pool of the presence of God. Dousing. It's a, it's, it's a matter of degrees, I think. So there are six accounts in Scripture of people experiencing this sort of manifest presence dousing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and one of the things I notice in, is that in none of the accounts does that dousing, does that soaking experience, does that manifest experience happen automatically for believers, which is to say, you don't decide to accept Jesus and then get doused with the manifest presence and power of God. You decide to follow Jesus, and then at some later moment, sometimes just a little while later, sometimes years later, if Scripture is any guide, you experience the dousing, usually through somebody ministering it to you. Uh, so, Acts chapter 2 is an example. The whole church, at that time was about 120 people, was gathered together, and they were following Jesus. Some of them had been following Jesus for years at that point, right? And then, in the midst of their praying for the gift, the Holy Spirit came and and doused them. Uh, The next time we read about it is Acts chapter 4, where uh, a portion of those guys are back together, perhaps in the same room, we don't know. Uh, and they, were, they felt like they needed more power because things were pretty rough 
in their Jerusalem ministry. So they pray to God. And again, the Holy Spirit comes in such a way that the room shook and they were all filled with the presence of God for a second time. So they got redoused. The next time we read about it is uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, where this guy named Philip was ministering in a, in a town called uh, Samaria. And um, he had converted a whole bunch of people. And Peter and John visit a little while later and say, hey, we have all of these new converts uh, to the Jesus faith. Have they received the Holy Spirit yet? And the answer was no. Probably they hadn't because Philip wasn't sure that he was allowed to give the Holy Spirit to Samaritans uh, at that point. There was a lot of confusion about ethnicities in those days. And so Peter and John laid their hands on people and they received uh, the dousing of the Holy Spirit. The next example we have is Acts chapter 19 where Paul shows up in Ephesus and he meets some people that introduce themselves as disciples. And the first question he asks them is, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet? And they said, actually, no, we had not heard of such a thing. We haven't heard of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul was like, explain to me your theology. How did you get baptized? What's going on? They, they just didn't know that they were supposed to receive and move in the manifest presence and, and power of God. So it's always sort of a, you know, a second step thing as Scripture presents it. My question is, why? You know, how many of you believe in Jesus, right? Why doesn't God just dump all of his presence and power upon you as soon as you confess faith in the Lord? I, I chewed on this for a long time. And then I was at uh, one of our Holy Spirit retreats uh, several years back. How many of you have been to a Holy Spirit retreat at Blue Water? Good times. So we were at a campground, we had a Holy Spirit retreat, and what we do is occasionally we take people away and do a little, little mini-conference among ourselves. We just uh, read all the Bible passages about the Holy Spirit, and then we pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon people, a la Acts chapter 2. That's a good time. Uh, how many of you have had your lives changed at Holy Spirit retreats? Let me ask that way. Yeah, yeah, good things happen there. Um, so we were having one of these retreats, and this fellow who was kind of involved with Blue Water, but not really. But he decides he's going to show up at the Holy Spirit retreat to see what it's all about. So he walks in uh, at precisely the moment when we are praying over the crowd for the Holy Spirit to come and douse people. And indeed, the Holy Spirit showed up and was dousing people. And, and you see different things uh, when that happens. Some people are just overwhelmed in their heart. So they just, they weep uh, and just you know, compassion or, you know, just letting something go, whatever. Other people, when they experience the manifest presence of God, it elicits a tremendous amount of joy. So you might find them crying for joy or laughing for joy, but with a great deal of power and passion. Some people, uh, as we see in Acts chapter 2, burst out speaking in languages they don't understand. So there's a lot of tongues speaking going on. Languages that perhaps nobody in the room understands. I've heard People speak in tongues in many languages that I could not even identify for you. I've heard people receive tongues in Spanish, which I do understand, which is kind of cool because then I could interpret it back to them. French, Hebrew, uh, Chinese, other things that I could at least recognize. Uh, they don't know how to speak Chinese, but they speak it. It's kind of cool. That's cool, right? That's cool. I mean, I don't know what good it does at the moment, but it's kind of cool. Just a sign that the Lord is with them, that the Lord is taking over, you know, their speech centers in, in that moment. 
other people receive different gifts. They have visions and prophesy, or some of them just get laid out and collapse under the power of God. It can look a little messy is what I'm saying. And this poor guy walks in, having not had a lot of experience with our church, not a lot of experience uh, with these sorts of phenomena, and his eyes just get really wide as he looks around this room. There are, you know, 50, 60 people there. And he very slowly saunters up to me as I'm taking a pause and praying for people. And he stands next to me and he says, so this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Oh, yeah, that's one way that it can look. Jordan, this is a little um, wilder than the God that I'm used to. And I thought about that for a minute and I said, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. There is a difference, isn't there, between sort of accepting Jesus as Lord. You're going to follow Jesus. You're going to pattern your life after Jesus. The Jesus that you see in the Bible. The Jesus that is just a little bit over there, right? There's a difference between that experience and being doused in such a way that you're not exactly even sure what's going to happen, right? You might collapse under power. You might start weeping. You might start laughing. You might receive spiritual gifts like prophecy and then have to actually prophesy, you know? It can get crazy really fast. And I think by making the dousing of the Holy Spirit a second step experience, what the Lord is doing is he's sort of challenging us to consider where our boundaries are. All right, you're going to make Jesus Lord. Now, technically, that should take care of it right there because if Jesus is Lord of your life, uh, your life probably will get a little bit crazy, will get a little bit different. And then he's saying, now, are you willing to receive my very presence into your body, into your life? Are, are you willing to be overwhelmed, perhaps? Are you willing to, to get close to me that far? It merits a little additional consideration, doesn't it? Of course, Jesus himself commanded his guys to wait and to receive the dousing. Uh, so if Jesus is Lord of your life um, and you're obedient to his commands, it is something that you would pursue. It's as if the Lord is saying, you've accepted me as Lord, but do you really want my manifest, tangible, occasionally overwhelming presence and power in your life? It's a different sort of plunge. And that may be why he calls it a dousing. Uh, given the choice involved in it, given that it's a second step sort of thing, we often see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes to believers through other believers. Um, the, uh, the simplest way uh, for you to receive more of God's manifest presence and power in your life is just to ask for it. Ask for a blessing uh, from somebody next to you uh, in just a, a couple minutes. We're going to have a ministry team come forward and, you know, I'll ask you, hey, do you want more of God's manifest presence and power in your life? And if you do, then you'd go ask one of them uh, to pray for it. In the kingdom of God, good things tend to pass from person to person, right? God partners with us in the kingdom. The truth of the gospel tends to pass from person to person. Uh, the love of Jesus tends to pass from person to person. It turns out that even the presence of the Spirit tends to pass from person to person. So, you know, come forward and say, I want more of God's manifest presence and power. Uh, someone will lay hands on your shoulders or something like that. And, and then ask God to douse. Just to sort of bless the coming of the Holy Spirit. Like, 
Peter and John in, in Samaria. You lay hands on the new believers so they receive. Like Paul in Ephesus, you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you call yourself disciples, let's take care of that. And Paul laid his hands on them and they received the power of the Spirit. It said that they, uh, some spoke in tongues and some prophesied and that began the church of Ephesus, which became one of the great churches of the first generation of believers. Um, one believer decides that he or she wants dousing in God's presence and power. Another believer lays on hands and blesses the work of the Lord in providing it, and the Spirit comes to douse. That's usually what the second step looks like when you decide you want more of God's presence and power. That's usually how we go about pursuing it. I say usually because, you know, anything can happen, right? You could be at a prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit could come in like a wind and just sort of fill you up. It's happened to me on occasion when I've been alone. Uh, usually the manifest presence of God has come to me when I'm in a gathering. There's something about the gathering of our faiths that make the presence, makes the presence of God uh, flow better. So I'm going to ask you uh, in a few minutes if you want more of the presence and power of God. Now theoretically, uh, I have to say your answer should be yes. God is good. I hear he's good all the time. God is good. Um, just one more comment, uh, one more caveat before oh, we get there. Um, Jesus, Scripture, talks about this thing called the dousing of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's sometimes referred to. But it's not about defining what that is. Uh, you know, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet? Well, I'm not sure. It's not, it's not the proper question to ask. The proper question to ask is, do you want more of God's presence and power in your life? Do you want more? Do you want to be soaked more? Uh, and if you are following hard after Jesus, particularly if you're living a life of ministry, you have probably realized from time to time that you need more, haven't you? Right? Like, However much I've got, however much I've experienced the direct presence of God up till now, I could do with some more today. And so, really, it's not, it's not a deeply theological question. It's not about defining what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Sometimes theologians argue about that. It's just like, hey, God is making his direct presence available to us. We need that. We need that. And you are either the person who is providing it for someone else, or you are the person receiving it. You know, when we come to church, I would encourage you to be one of those persons. Either you are ministering the presence of God to someone, or you are receiving the presence of God through the blessing of someone. Because what more vital thing do we have to share than the direct presence and power of God? Whatever state you've come in, with today, I mean, more than anything else, more than understanding about God, more than any wisdom I could share, you just need God. You just need God. Right? And if you've had God, then what you need is more of God. And that's the privilege of living in the age of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you get more of the presence of God, the only operative question is, will you use it? Because the presence of God comes with additional power. So then it's just a matter of, are you going to use it? 
when Jesus told the disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he said, and you will receive power to be my witnesses in, in the whole world when that happens. And the disciples took him at his word and went out and changed the world. They received the baptism of the Spirit. They cultivated the added power that the presence of God brought, and then, indeed, they changed the world. Uh, would you like more of God's manifest presence and power to change your world? How does that sound? All right. If so, let's pray. Father, we are um, a fleshly people. Um, we're certainly a troubled people. Uh, many of us are desperate people. But we are your people. And we want uh, every bit of help that you can give us, Lord. And this morning, indeed, we pray for your direct presence. We pray for filling from your Holy Spirit, the presence of God in the here and now, so that we can be powerful in the world, so that we can walk supernaturally and bring the good order of the kingdom of God to the chaotic places in the world and in our lives that need it. Come, Holy Spirit, we wait upon you. Amen.